Our scripture reading this morning comes from Romans chapter 8. If you'd like to follow along, it will be on the screens behind us, and it's also on page 1200 um, in the Bibles provided for you in in the pews. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, it says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be back with you after being on the road a while, at least for the last couple of weeks. I'm at this uh, stage, Kathy and I, of our lives where... Um, it seems like another grandchild is born, and so we're off visiting. And so uh, you have met uh, three of them, uh, Mike, my son, and his wife, Brittany, have three. And uh, the first came the twins, Penelope and, and Madison, and then came Asher two years later. And then Matt and his wife, Lindsay, have Nora on April the 20th, two weeks later, my daughter, Sarah, has her first, Katie, in San Francisco. So we were out uh, there visiting while we were there. The other part of getting older is uh, you have to also take care of your parents. And so I uh, came back and uh, went to where my mom was in uh, Joplin, Missouri, to help her move to Texas, where my sister lives. And so that's where I've been in a short amount of time, primarily on airplanes, because there's no direct way to get anywhere, evidently, in Joplin, Missouri. Sorry if you're from there. You know, as I've been thinking about of Romans 8 for a while, I knew I wanted to slow us down. We've been basically walking through a chapter uh, of Romans a week. And Romans uh, uh, chapter 8 is a unique uh, a passage that tells us a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christians. And uh, since we're Presbyterians, uh, we may not know a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. It, it, at least we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And so I think it's very good for us to pause and to see that Paul develops a whole 
uh, chapter to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Jesus. And so we slow down for that purpose. And as I thought about this chapter, I thought about just how much of it is a treasure that is often not mined, that's often not treasured. Uh, Zach, uh, Ravi Zacharias, in one of his books, uh, tells the story of Theo Fong. Uh, Theo Fong, uh, before the Vietnam War, was a translator, a Christian translator for missionaries in Vietnam. And uh, throughout the war, he served in that purposes. But when the war ended, and all of the missionaries and all of the military uh, left Vietnam, and when the communist government took over, they put what they considered collaborators, people who worked for foreigners, into what they called uh, uh, re-education or reprogramming camps, which is another way of saying a concentration camp with very, very harsh conditions. Not enough food to survive. In fact, it would have been okay by the government if they didn't. And so in these harsh conditions where he wasn't eating uh, very well, he began to question his faith, whether God really was looking out for him, whether God was really uh, caring for him because his whole life as he knew it was got, had gotten quite small. He was separated from his family, he was separated from life. And, and so at the very moment when he began to question uh, whether he uh, could go on believing in God, uh, the, his tormentors decided one of the greater punishments that they could give is that he would have to clean the officer's latrine. And so while he was in cleaning the latrine, he found uh, uh, a used uh, toilet paper, but really it was pages from books of, uh, of literature that they had confiscated. And so they would rip out a page to use for toilet paper. And so he noticed that this was a page from the Bible. And so he cleaned it off, and, and when he cleaned it off, he began to notice that it was Romans. And it wasn't just Romans of any chapter, it was Romans chapter 8 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and he reads and he says, God works all things for the good for those who love God. And then he goes on and he says, neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you imagine you're on the precipice of giving up your faith and at that moment he takes that awful torture, that awful task and turns it into an opportunity of worship. And so as he comes out of that experience, he, he begs that every day that they would assign him the office of the latrine to clean in hopes of finding another page, another passage of scripture. Do we treasure the Bible like that? Do we treasure the scriptures that if we didn't have them, that God would find a way to give them to us? That's how special the chapter that we are going to slow down just to spend a little time to mine, to see what God has to say to us, just as he spoke to Theo Fong so long ago. Martin Lloyd-Jones has a quite a long commentary on Romans. 
And when he gets to chapter 8, he's got a whole book on chapter 8. And he opens the book with this quote. Romans chapter 8 is the greatest chapter ever written in human history. He didn't mean the best chapter in the Bible. He means the best chapter at any any chapter of any book at any time in any culture ever. Bach, when he wants to write a cantata about the Bible, he devotes the whole cantata to Romans 8. When N.T. Wright writes on this chapter, he says, it is a feast of Pauline themes that carries the power of the gospel in every breath. And then this challenge to the church, he says, if the church could hoist its sails, now this speaks to all of us Annapolitans, if we could catch the wind, there's no knowing what might happen if we, the church, could get a grasp of what Romans 8 teaches. These opening verses, though they are things that are given to Christians, these great gifts of the Holy Spirit, it really is about the Holy Spirit and not about us. We're the fruit, we're at the other end, but it really is centered around the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. But he does give us three gifts in this chapter. He gives us a new nature, that is, a new way of seeing. He gives us a new ambition, a new way of living. And he also uh, gives us a new covering, a way of being. And so with that in mind, in the time that we have before we go to the Lord's Supper, let's delve a little bit. As I said, it's about the Holy Spirit. Just listen to how many of these verses talk about the, the Holy Spirit. To give it context, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The natural question is, well, why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and of death. Verse 4, those who walk according to the spirit. Verse 5, set our minds on the things of the spirit. Verse 9, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 10, you have the Spirit of life because of righteousness. Verse 11, it is the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and dwells in you. And he will also give you life to your mortal bodies. This morning I want us to focus uh, solely upon the Holy Spirit as he dwells, as he takes up residence in the heart of a believer. And what difference does that make? If he's in there, if he's in your life, what difference does it make? Does it change everything? And the premise of the message this morning about this text is that he changes everything. It isn't just, just change on the periphery. He's not just on the edges of your life. He goes at the very core of you, who you are and he changes who you are, the way in which you see everything. That's what changing a nature means. The way that it's spoken of here is that you walk in the spirit. That's Paul's language of talking about the way in which you see and you understand everything differently than the way you 
did before. You know that's true when you begin to look at the way in which plants and animals see the world. Uh, Plants see the world and process the world typically only through three things. Light, heat, and water. That's all they can process. So that's all they can understand about the world around them. Animals, because they have five senses, can understand more of the world than plants can. But they're limited because their behavior is determined by their instincts. Humans, because we not only have the five senses, we have reason, we can understand the world even more. We can process more about our environment than plants and mere animals can. But chapter 8 makes this claim that if you are a follower of Christ, if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your heart, and those are synonymous, by the way, if you are a Christian, there's not then a second experience of the Spirit. If you are a Christian, it is because the Spirit has taken up residence in you. And if that is true, then you can see the world even more different. That is, your perception of things is not just physical, but also the spiritual dimension of what's going on around us. That if the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you can respond in a way and see the world differently. It awakens you to spiritual realities that you could not see before. The things that, that you found nauseating to do and to be around now you love and enjoy because they're part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the things that you used to enjoy that were the antithetical of being a follower of Jesus now, they nauseate you. And you wonder why that happens, why that changes, because a whole new perspective has come into your life that not just simply have you adopted Christianity and all of the behaviors that you think are associated with being a Christian, but literally you're being changed from the inside out because someone has taken residence up inside you and is changing everything that way. You see, you can take a philosophy, you can even take a a religion and change the outside, but nothing on the inside changes, but not with Christianity. At the core of Christianity, it's not about an outside change to, to change the inside. It's a change on the inside that ultimately changes the outside. And that takes the work of the spirit, not human effort. That's what our chapter teaches. C.S. Lewis puts it this way when he talks about what it means to be a Christian. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I can see it, that's just what mere humans can do, but because by it I see everything else. You see, if the Spirit has taken up residence, not only can you see it, but you see everything by the work of the Spirit. Today, they they call that being woke. Have you been woke? And I don't mean that in a social justice way, but I do mean it in that way. I mean, have you been woke to suffering? The way that the Bible looks at suffering, that we don't look at it as a mere dimension of pain 
and sorrow and loss. Or maybe how Macbeth said, my life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. If the Spirit has taken up residence in you, you say, Macbeth, you were wrong. My life is not a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I agree with Paul in Romans 5 where he says, we rejoice even in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. Suffering has a purpose. Just like everything in the world has a purpose because it has a designer. We have a God who has created and supersedes everything in his creation because he loves it and he says it is good. But also it means that you're woke to the wisdom in the Bible. That it's not a just book of rich Stories, but literally it's filled with wisdom on how to understand and perceive the world in which we live. It once seemed impossible to understand. I can understand that. In fact, it's still hard to understand in so many places. Let's be honest. There are parts of the scriptures that, that are very difficult, if not to understand, but at least to accept because it's difficult. But now we seek because of the work of the Spirit in us to understand those places. We don't just say it's impossible and therefore we don't pursue. But we pursue because it is the very words of God given to his people to reflect who he is and what he is doing and what he will ultimately do with us. We're also woke to those people who belong to Christ. You ever think about that, that you are now friends with people that you never would be friends with? They're so different than you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the man I mentioned earlier, has this a testimony of when, after being the royal physician, he went into the ministry, went to seminary, and was assigned a, a church in Wales along the coastline. And And he's a highly, highly educated man in a blue-collar church, a fisherman's church. And he said this, he said, I feel more kindred in Christ with a poor fisherman on the shores of Wales in my church than with the elites I know in London. One of the ways you know that the Spirit of God has taken residence in you, you now have more in common with those that are in every way different than you, except one, you are both in Christ. Then with those that you have everything in common with, except one, you both are not in Christ. If you feel that you've got more in common with those people who do not have Christ, than you do with people who have in Christ, you might be missing the spirit and still going to church. But you also, if the spirit has taken up residence, you're not just woke toward those that are inside the church, but also to those that are outside. When Jesus says he looks on Jerusalem and, he, and his heart was broken, he had filled with compassion 
over Jerusalem because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Is that how you feel about our city? But the people who live here, that they are literally thousands upon thousands of people who are sheep without a shepherd and don't know the Lord. Are you willing to say with Paul in Romans 9 when we get there someday? Are you willing to say with Paul, I wish I could lose my salvation that they might get theirs. He so much wanted to see his fellow brothers and sisters who were Jews, but did not know Christ, who were rejecting Christ, to know Christ, to receive Christ, to get the spirit, that he was willing to give up his own spirit, knowing that that could not even be done, but willing to say it twice, once in chapter 9 and once in chapter 10. You see, that's why the spirit changes your nature. Because he doesn't just, he doesn't just come in and give you new ideas. He changes the way in which you see everything and everyone. But secondly, he gives you a new ambition, a new way of living. Because of the way in which you see everything has changed, so is your life. Verse 3, I am sending Jesus to condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Verse 4, who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is contrasting two walks. And and think of walks as ways of living based on the ways in which you see everything. One is according to the flesh and the other is a walking according to the Spirit. That's why in verse 6 he says, for set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. He's saying because the spirit has taken up permanent residence in your life, he's not an occasional visitor when things go bad. He's not the occasional visitor when you're rejoicing in worship with other Christians. He's there permanently. And because he's there, he's changing everything about us from the inside out, but also the out, not just the in. He's changing the way in which we live and obey and and interact with each other and with those people who are not yet here. He's never going to get out of your system. And that way, the Holy Spirit is like an incurable virus, an unstoppable being. What in the world is he doing in there? According to Galatians 5, he's producing fruit. Not you producing fruit, he's producing fruit. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's why chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is so important because it's also what the Spirit is doing. He's making love kind the kind of love that keeps no wrongs, the kind of love that hopes in all things. You can't do that. It doesn't matter how many New Year's resolutions you make. It takes the work of the Spirit in you for this to happen. And what do we call that? We call that sanctification. We call that sanctification. And sanctification is very different than justification. 
in, in a primary way. Justification is where Paul begins in our chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a justification statement. That is a declaration over you. It is a single act of God that looks at you and says, you are not righteous. I declare you righteous. I give you what you don't have, but I require. And that is that you be righteous. You be holy. You be acceptable. And it is an alien righteousness that is given you. And that is justification. And because of that justification, you carry no shame and no guilt. Can you grasp that for just a second before we go on to what is sanctification? Is that you, no matter what you have done, if you are in Christ, you carry no shame and no guilt. I don't care what you tell yourself, what the accuser accuses you of, what your family list has been. You know, one of the things about going home is when, peop- when you go home, people remember you as you once were. You're almost frozen in time. That is not true with the Lord. You are a new creation. The old things have gone and the new things have come. Can you grasp that justification? Because if you can, you can note that justification is the start of sanctification. It is because God has declared you righteous now that he makes you so. Because Christ's record is your record, he now conforms you to that record. That's what sanctification is. It is where you are being conformed to the image of Christ. The the illustration that I can think of is, you remember when you were a kid and you got into your parents' clothes closet and you began to put them on? My dad was a cop and so everybody wanted to wear his uniform. And so you'd put his uniform on with his badge hanging down to your stomach because he was that big. And the clothes, you, you put the belt around as tight as you could. And because he kept his, his gun away from his holster, you could put his holster on, but not put, have his gun because that would be impossible to hold up. And then you would put on his shoes. And the first time I ever saw dress shoes was my father's shoes. And you put him in and, and when your feet are only uh, five, size five and you put him into those size 11s, they just don't fit. Justification is that you have put those clothes on. Sanctification is that you grow into those clothes. That's what's happening to us. That's what Paul says when he says, wretched man that I am, who will separate me from this body of death, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then what's the good news? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this spirit is now giving you a way to walk. But what happens when you start walking in those clothes? You fall down. That is, though we have been freed from the penalty of sin, no shame, no guilt, the power of sin is still at work in us. That's why Paul says in chapter 7 that you looked at last week, it's not I 
but sin in me. That's Paul's language of saying, there is a power at work in you, not just the spirit, but of sin. And so you do do things that are out of accord with this new set of clothes, these new shoes you're walking in. And you do sometimes fall down and sometimes you fall down with gusto. You sin with all of the ambition that should be reserved for Christ. You reserve for your own pleasure. And so what hope is there for us? Where's the good news when we fall down? Is he going to take the clothes back? Is he going to take the badge off? He's going to ask for his shoes? No, the father recognizes that that is still at work and that one day through the sanctification, the power of sin is going to be totally removed. But until then, he's provided for us a way. Listen to David, the adulterer, David, the murderer. If anybody could sin with gusto, it was David, the patron saying of sin with gusto. A broken and contrite spirit you will not despise. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Here's the best line. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You notice what David does not ask. Restore my salvation. That would be taking the clothes off and asking for them back. David says, no, I've lost my joy because I've been caught up in the flesh. I've been caught up in the pleasure of my sin. That which I hate, I do, Paul says in chapter 7. David says, can you give me that joy back? He's always had the salvation, but you can lose the joy. The Holy Spirit gives us a new nature, a new way of seeing everything, a new ambition, a new way of living. But also, he gives us a new covering. And, and the reason that we, when we fall down, we want to know that he's not taking the clothes back, that's why we're looking at the covering. He covers us. Because the truth is, even as a pastor, I am always betraying and always adoring. And sanctification says my adoring grows, but my betraying decreases over time, progressively. But in the meantime, I still need the covering. I still need the clothes. That's why there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the spirit of life has set us free from Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and of death, we are attracted to righteousness because we are given righteousness. That's what Paul means by these two little words, in Christ. They're Paul's special words to describe our union with Christ, our receiving his righteousness and him receiving our sin record. That grand exchange gives us a covering, 
while we are being conformed into the image of Christ. When John wanted to communicate that in his revelation in chapters uh, 20, 21 of Revelation, when John sees the end of time and the myriads and myriads of everyone who has ever come to Jesus all together at one time, he says they were wearing white robes that were not theirs. That's the covering. It's like the prodigal son coming home and the sandals and the ring and the robe that the father gives the son is his covering because he is his son. And so now what is true of Jesus is true of you if you're in Jesus. And that is true on your best day, which we tend to think. But what we don't tend to remember is that it's also true of on our worst day. Your trajectory is already set. And if it was up to you, you could break the trajectory off. But because it's not up to you, it cannot be stopped. If your trajectory to to come into the conformity of Jesus could be stopped by you, then God would cease to be God. We are covered in Christ. There is never a moment where you're not wearing, if you're in Jesus, his clothes how small we must look in those clothes. Rankin Wilburn in his book, Union with Christ, he puts it this way. God does not love you to the degree that you are like Christ. If that is true, it'd be by degree. God loves you to the degree you are in Christ. And that is always 100%. Take joy, my friend. You are completely covered. God is just as pleased with you on your very worst and most rebellious day as he is on your best day. Recognize that sanctification is a process and you are covered all the way through it until you grow into his shoes. Why? Because Jesus is the ultimate prisoner of war who dove into the latrine of this world to retrieve his treasure that was there. And he pulled us out. He washed us off. And he added us to his collection of his treasured possession. What could be better news than that? The answer to that question is nothing. Thanks be to God that you are God's treasure possession that was all messed up and used toilet paper and he washed you off and set you in his collection. Praise be to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're so grand and glorious and beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension. And yet, You have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your word. Father, we thank you that you have come to meet us in this place and to encounter your spirit that is in us to conform us into the image of the Son that you sent down into this latrine to find us, to wash us, to clean us, to set us free in Christ. I pray, Father, that we might today, 
those in this room that have felt for so long that they are too dirty for you, too beyond your finding, your rescuing, that they have found a Savior who can reach the depths of hell to save. And I pray for those in the room, Father, who thought Christianity is just what we do on Sunday, might hear for the very first time that you have taken up residence and are changing them into the image of Christ. Help us all to see you at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.